You're listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast. Here's your host, writer, reader, journalist, and lover of soy latte, Sinead Maripodi. Hello everyone, Happy New Year, and thank you so much for joining me back here on Writers Off The Page. I've got an incredible lineup planned for 2023, and we're kicking off the new year with something extra special. Now, I usually chat to authors about their books and how they came to be published, but I thought I'd shake things up a little bit and get the inside scoop on the world of publishing. I'm so excited to be joined by Jean-Marie Morrison, Head of Children's Publishing at Hachette Australia. Jean-Marie's been editing and publishing picture books, junior fiction, middle grade and YA for more than 20 years in both Australia and the United States. And there's no other job she'd rather be doing. Jean-Marie Morrison, thank you so much for joining me on Writers Off The Page. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, 20 years in the publishing industry, that's phenomenal. How did you get your start originally? Well, first of all, that makes me feel old. No, not at all. (laughs) Um, well, I sort of took a circuitous route. I studied communications and then I did a master's in international relations, which was a very useful degree that I've never used again. Um, and I worked a little bit in sort of journalism and media analysis, but it just wasn't, I knew it wasn't quite right for me. So I had a friend who was working in publicity at Random House at the time, um, And he told me about a job going as a publishing assistant to a wonderful publisher called Fiona Henderson. And I applied for that and was lucky enough to get it and really learned a lot. I think um, it's a little bit like kindergarten, those like really formative early experiences of what sort of shape you. And I think attending publishing meetings and acquisitions meeting as an assistant, taking minutes and just watching what was happening was such a great groundwork for me um, in terms of learning the business and growing my skills. So that's kind of a condensed version of started as a publishing assistant and here I'm still here. (laughs) (laughs) And now at Hachette, just in case any of our listeners haven't heard of Hachette, which I'm sure they have, tell us a little bit about it. Uh, So Hachette is part of a global company owned by a French group, Legadaire, the Lothian list, which is the children's list. We, um, Hachette acquired, I think, 15 years ago now. I hope no one's quoting me on this. Um, (laughs) Roughly, uh, give or take. Roughly, roughly. And our local publishing, we, we do both local and international publishing and our local publishing lists have just continued to grow and grow. So we're one of the top five publishers. How big's the team? The children's team? The children's team, yeah. It's a really good question. So there are two of us who acquire and then we work with an amazing group of editors and publishers, um, publicists and marketing. So dedicated children's commissioning team is really only two of us. So bear that in mind if you're ever sending us submissions. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we have a huge support network being part of Hachette. So, yeah. so what's an average day in the office like for you? Is there such thing as an average day? No, no. And I was thinking about this when I got the 15-minute reminder for this interview that the day has just completely passed and <laughs> now I'm doing this. Um, I would say like the, the common theme is trying to balance, trying to find a balance between working on the books that we've already acquired and working on the books that we're going to acquire, so the submissions that are coming in. And I think that's 
it's something I struggle with all the time. So I imagine probably not if you're familiar with the industry, but from outside the industry, you think that we might sit around reading manuscripts all day. And I never sit around reading manuscripts. <laughs> that happens at night, to be honest. It happens outside of work hours because work hours are really taken up with. We publish, um, it, is a, it is a small team, but we publish, I think this year, 27 books. So we're kind of getting those books through the process of either editorial or going back and forward with the author or illustrator. Um, and at the same time, we're trying to read submissions. So there's there's really no or average day. Um, yeah, we have our acquisitions meeting every Tuesday. That's probably the thing that kind of anchors the week. And so you said there were only two of you really. As far as submissions go and that dreaded slush pile that we all hear about, is that really down to the two of you going through that or do you have help to filter through? It's down to the two of us. Um, we, and again, it's a balance. It's a balance between trying to check that digital slush pile um, and then there are submissions that we get from agents and probably because those agent submissions are a little bit more direct, it's not, those are probably go to the top of the list and then if we've got time, we're dipping into the slush pile. So Yep, it's the two of us. Sometimes the person who manages the slush pile will flag something or one of the adult publishers might be going through a slush pile and think that could suit the children's list, but it's really the two of us. I don't want to scare anyone, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Well, yes. that's, I mean, so you said 27 books get published each year, you said. Dare I ask how many submissions in general come in roughly? I know you, I I did know you were going to ask this, and I was going to go and look look hundreds through unsolicited. So in the hundreds, in the hundreds unsolicited, and then I mean it's getting up close to that from agents as well. So it's a lot. Wow. Yeah. And so you it's great. It's great. It's great. It's just... fabulous. But <laughs> terrifying. But <laughs> terrifying. It's just like a massive pile of guilt, basically. <laughs> It's a, a pile of guilt and potential. <laughs> <laughs> when you mentioned, obviously, that you get submissions direct from agents as well and that they do get put ahead a little bit, do you advise then, is it better for an author starting out to try and get an agent rather than just submitting directly to publishers? Um, I mean, it is a way, I guess, to go to the top of the inbox, but it's not the only way. Um, we do lots of other industry things. We'll do Kid Lit Vic. We do CYA. We take, you know, um, GenreCon, CBCA conferences. There are lots of ways that you can pitch to us or lots of other ways to meet publishers. And that's another way to kind of be on the radar so that you're not you are, you'll probably get a direct email address for us, for example, whereas the slush pile is a general email address and it's a different inbox and we need to actively go and check that inbox, whereas if you've met us at a conference, you will most likely, if we, I guess if we're feeling generous, you'll get the email address and, and, and it will come and we'll, it, it will be on our radars. So, I, I mean, an agent is one way, but it's not the only way and I think attending those industry conferences and making those connections or it might come, submissions might come through other authors who we publish who, and they might recommend someone. So it's not the only way. Is there something in particular that you think makes a Hachette author? 
I, I love I've asked you the easiest answers. question in the world. The easiest <laughs> questions. <laughs> um, look, I, I think we really, I've been at Hachette since 2018 and it's been a real focus of mine to publish people, nurture people. For, I, I don't ever like to sign a debut author for just one book. It's sort of a relationship that I want to build. It's... I think if this person has one idea, I'd love to know that they've got more ideas. And if they do, then we're all about investing in them. So I think having lots of ideas and and seeing children's book publishing as a path that you is a long-term path is probably a hallmark of a Hachette children's author because we want to work with you. We want to grow you. We don't necessarily want to do one book and done, although, of course, that happens too. Um just looking at the list, people who are open to the collaboration and, and understand that once we've signed a book, the work is really just beginning and and that editorial collaboration is a really key part of what makes a book successful. So I think working with all of our Hachette authors, they're just brilliant people to work with who understand the process, who want to make the books as good as they can be and want to work with us to do that. So um, I, I just only have positive things about the people we work with. Um, and it is a real collaboration, I, I guess, collaboration and that long-term relationship. So that's a long-winded answer, but it was a very good answer. <laughs> and so when you get that manuscript, whether it's slush pile from an agent, however it may be, how much do you usually have to read before you get an idea as to whether there's potential in the manuscript or not? Um, well, obviously it depends if it's a picture book or a middle grade or a YA or junior fiction. Um, a picture book, I'll read the whole thing and I guess what I would say is it's not always just about the writing or what's on the page, even though if something's obviously brilliantly written, you're going to find a place for it on the list. But with picture books in particular, I will know very quickly if there's a place on the list for that. So it might be a book about friendship or resilience and we've already signed a couple of books on that theme. So it's not... It's not. I'm not always looking at it and saying yes or no based on the writing or what I'm reading. This isn't really answering your question. I'm going off on a tangent. No, that's fine. Go off on the tangent. <laughs> it's just not, I guess it's not a straightforward answer. So a picture book, I'll read the whole thing. Obviously, it's pretty short. And middle grade YA junior fiction, within about five chapters, you sort of know if the writing is what we're looking for, if there's a place for it potentially on the list but that again is only the start of the process because if I see potential I then have to convince the rest of the team at acquisitions that there's potential and get that buy-in so the short answer is um, picture books I read everything anything longer form probably within about five chapters I know if I want to keep going and I'm starting to think at that point about whether there's a place for it on the list I guess that's where that's ramble was relevant do you have an age group that you prefer or love doing love going through I love I do love picture books um I love working with illustrators I love that collaboration between visual storytelling and text and I think it's because um I mean I can we Working in publishing, we can all write a little bit, but I can't illustrate. So illustration is just so magical to me. It will always be a magical process. And what illustrators can achieve will just always have that 
wonder and mystery to me. So I I really love the picture book collaboration. But at the same time, I, I think just each category has its own joy, but I, I probably would say picture books are my, I love. Yeah. My, I mean, I've always collected them. I'm passionate about them as works of art. So, yeah. Do you like to have text, just an author who is focused on the text, not an author-illustrator combo? No, I love an author-illustrator combo. That's the unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if someone's pretty strong on both because um, I guess the beauty of author-illustrator, I mean, there are benefits both ways, but an author-illustrator combo, someone's really conceiving the whole narrative from the outset. So an author-illustrator combos tend to understand that the visual story is just as important as the words and how they interact with each other uh, is really essential to the overall book. So I I don't, yeah, an author-illustrator is a dream if you can find someone who's strong. Let's talk specifics with submissions. For you, what makes a submission stand out? What are the good things? Um, I think what knowing the market, so a lot of people when they submit now will kind of give comp titles, which is great because it shows that they know where this book sits in the market and it shows that they read in this, in the category that they're trying to publish in because that's probably the biggest um I don't want to say mistake. I think it's the, it's pretty obvious if you don't read into the area that you want to publish in. Um, so it seems like you, a no-brainer. It's you would how, think. <laughs> how can you write <laughs> in the yeah. area you're not reading? <laughs> you would think, but I can tell you that does not always happen. <laughs> but if you if you are reading in the area that you want to write in, you understand that there are already. 50 books on that topic you understand who's done it well you understand where it might sit and it's really important that you do because it's so crowded it's so competitive we're getting more more submissions I think than we ever have through any channel people were very busy during COVID people are publishing more people you really have to know where your work is going to sit in in the, in the context of the overall market and what's happening. So I think if you know that and you have a fresh voice and a fresh perspective, which is a really hard thing to define, but is important and it goes back again, I think, to wanting to invest in authors over a number of books. You really want an author who's got a point of view and a perspective and can build on that and becomes a recognisable, it's not even about being a brand, it's just something that people know that if it's a book by this person, this is what you're going to get, that can be a really strong selling point, which is not to say we don't want people to do unexpected things either, that's also brilliant. But, um, yeah, I think knowing the market and having your own point of view uh, will, and obviously beautiful writing, obviously, I think that's a given. Goes without saying. (laughs) Goes without saying. Um, Beautiful writing or a beautiful visual style or, you know, exciting illustration style. Um, Someone who hasn't, particularly with illustrators, someone who hasn't already published a lot of books is appealing because that's something that happens, especially in the Australian children's market. People tend to publish across a number of different publishers and 
maybe it's just me and my possessive self. I, I really like to <laughs> work with people who are who can become Hachette authors, who are a fresh voice in the market, who haven't necessarily, which is not to say we wouldn't work with people who have published before, but there's something about a debut author or illustrator that's really exciting and working with someone from the start of their career is really appealing to me at Hachette. I like that. that. I like, yeah, I know. That's exciting to hear that Hachette really does value the career, I guess, yeah. of an author because, I don't know, looking around and hearing about submissions, everyone thinks of kind of their one book at a time and just and all a lot of the authors that I have interviewed have said the comment of, you know, once you get one book published, that doesn't necessarily mean another one is going to be published down the track, which I understand. But even if there's no guarantees, it's really nice to hear of a publisher that wants to support an author's career going forward. Yeah. I I mean, it's a big investment on both sides from the author and from the publisher. And we do a lot to put a book out there and to establish a book. And in some ways it makes sense to keep building on that momentum once you've established it. So it's my, it's definitely my strategy. It can be risky because if one book doesn't sell and you've signed up for more, that can be challenging, but that's definitely where we're coming from is wanting to work. We see it as a relationship for sure. When you were getting an author who's not a debut author and perhaps have had books published elsewhere previously, do you take into account their previous sales history? Yes, for sure. Definitely. Yep. Uh, and it's not just me. It, it can work if they've had good sales and that's obviously going to make the job of selling it internally a little bit easier. We'll make the price higher too, though. So there's that. Whereas it can be a battle. Previous sales can be a battle to sell someone again in-house if previous sales have not been strong. So it we have to, you have to, yeah. Is it a simple... I guess red flag, or is it a taking to a in taking into account if sales were bad, putting that book next to the manuscript that's been submitted and got and looking at, I guess, are they same sort of voice? Is it different? Does this one stand more of a chance? It's a, that's a really good question, and it it is definitely it's not a, an immediate deal breaker. It's a it is a nuanced conversation and you will generally make, if a publisher is getting to the point where you're bringing something to an acquisitions meeting, it's because you think you can make a case for it despite or as well as the sales. So if something hasn't necessarily done well, then what else, What, as you said, what what's different about it? What will make this stand out? What was that publishing history like? Who was it with? What do we think we could do differently to lift those sales so it it absolutely is a nuanced conversation it's not as though if you've had one book that maybe didn't sales were a bit softer than you'd hoped that's not the end of your publishing story in any way yeah do you take into account pitches and synopsis well you know I hear a lot in writing circles of people going I've written this novel and I just cannot write a synopsis to save myself I hate (laughs) pitches I may relate a little. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair. Um, no, it's it's definitely not a deal breaker. All it does is make a really good pitch or synopsis just makes my job a little bit easier in terms of selling it on because I guess that's what you have to remember. It's not just up to me. I have to sell it on. And if you've given me a brilliant zinger one-liner that positions the book perfectly, then I'm going to love you because I can just use that <laughs> to sell it on. But 
if you haven't, then, well, I just have to do a little bit of work to do that myself to sell it on. <laughs> um, so it's a, I wouldn't worry about it too much. It's not a deal breaker. But, it can, I mean, it's worth trying to get right because sometimes sometimes it's that one-liner that's like this is this meets this and it's sold. Like people just get it straight away if they, you know, people are time poor. And if you can summarise it in that really zingy way, then great. Easy makes my job easy, but it's not a deal breaker. It's just something we would work on if we loved the the, the submission enough. I mean, it's a very human industry. It's a very nothing's particularly black and white. You know, you are dealing with emotions and people and relationships. So I often get wary of what people are taught in um what people are taught and what, you know, like only do double spacing or never put illustration notes or never do this or never do that. If As I someone who is a real rule follower, all right, of those okay. things are terrifying. When people put that out there, I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to make a well, mistake. Now, I'm going to do it wrong. <laughs> it's honestly, look, other publishers might be different, but I don't care. If the writing is good, if the illustration is good, if the idea is good, if I've met the author and I really like the author, I really don't care if you how you've formatted a document, how it's come <laughs> to me, you know, like I just want I think all any of us want is to publish really wonderful books. I don't really care how they get to me or what they do you know I mean, what I'm saying? As long as they're yeah. legible, I think. As long as they're legible, <laughs> within of reason. Course, with of course within of course and within reason <laughs> and all of that. But yeah, we're not robots. We can <laughs> no one we can see the bigger picture of what's going on, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I just I just don't think people should be scared off or oh, I've put illustration notes. I shouldn't have put illustration notes. If I don't like your illustration notes, I'll just ignore your illustration notes. You know, it doesn't I'm not gonna there's not a little, you know, box that I'm ticking like, you're out, you put in an illustration <laughs> note and I don't like it. It's just not it's just a lot more nuanced than that. Yeah. Okay, you're sounding like the angel publisher at the moment. So let's play the devil. At, devil, okay. what makes a bad submission? Um, not knowing the market that you're um, writing into. Bad. I mean, just with the. I guess the really obvious things. Um, I don't know. That's actually kind of hard to answer because I don't feel like I receive bad submissions. I just feel that there are submissions that this sounds like I'm being too diplomatic and I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to be, I think there are just submissions that don't work for our list for whatever reason. It's not what we're looking to publish. We've already published other things like it. It's not, the writing's not comparable to what we're already publishing or would look to publish. Um, I think someone who's certain that something is finished and it's a masterpiece is a red flag because even the best writers who we publish know that when they're submitting something, it still needs work or will still benefit from that collaboration. So maybe maybe I'll settle on that, that it's if you think this is silly, it's you know, sort of brilliant and no one's ever published anything like it before, I've maybe got a little bit of a red flag poking up. Have you got any of those horror stories like someone sliding a manuscript under the toilet door at a festival or anything <laughs> like that? <laughs> no. no, I mean, no, but I've got plenty of um, meeting people at, at parties and their mum's written a manuscript or, I don't know, any kind of 
I'm trying to be careful how to word this now. <laughs> there might be corporate companies who we work with where the CEO might think they can write a picture book and you get those and you have to, even though you know immediately you would never, ever, ever publish it, you have to write some kind of feedback for them because they're an important person to think. So I've got those stories. Um, but I actually wouldn't really want people not to do it because what if you found that hidden gem that way? You, what if it's you found like, it in a toilet cubicle? What, if, <laughs> <laughs> what a great publicity and marketing story. They would love it. They would be all over it. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. I guess it's just that thing of you always have, you should always take the meeting because you just don't know what will come from it. So often, often nothing great comes from those toilet door submissions, but sometimes it does, you know. <laughs> <laughs> How much do you take into account an author's profile, their social media presence, all of those sorts of things? I mean, me personally, I don't take, well, it's, again, not a deal breaker. I mean, we have a great publicity and marketing team. Of course, it makes the job easier if the person has a platform, but it's not. I th- I think in the uh, I think maybe even ten years ago it was a really big deal, but in children's it's less less of a deal than say for nonfiction where you're looking to publish on something on the back of somebody's celebrity. Then a platform is going to be really important. But for children's, I actually think um, your engagement with the children's book community is more important. I think um, you're. If you have a relationship with booksellers, that's important. If you are willing to go into schools and do school visits, that's important. There are ways, I guess, I'm, to raise that profile with the people who are trying to reach that, you know, kids aren't, we're not directly marketing to kids on social media. We are to their parents, so that's helpful. But, um, yeah, it, it's a nice bonus, but it's not a make or break. Realistically, if someone signs a contract with you for their book, what's the turnaround time from, I guess, signing contracts to book being on the shelf typically? Yeah, because it's just no, honestly, when I say no two books are alike, no two books are alike, and it it is going to depend on so many. This is probably really boring. You just want a really simple answer, but there is no <laughs> I'll really take any simple answer. answer. There's no... You know, a picture book, you we're taking into account who's illustrating it, what medium they work in, is it physical art, does that need to be scanned, what else do we have on the list? It depends when we get it in the year. If, for example, 2023 is well and truly full and pretty much almost where those books are well and truly on their way. So if I get an amazing submission now, it's going to be in 2024 at the earliest just by default of how far ahead the publishing cycle works. So it could be a year, it could be longer. Um, it's probably not going to be less than that unless it's a self-published book that we've decided to take on and obviously there's minimal works. But, yeah, I'd say minimum 12 months. So if we're looking then at 2023 being full, what sort of trends were you seeing that are making their way out in 2023? Um, I think it's they're going to. I won't say anything that you wouldn't that you'll be surprised by. Graphic novels mm-hmm. everywhere, but um, again, they if you're talking lead times, graphic novels can be like two, three years out before you. Depending what how they come in, it depends if we're getting them 
finished files or if we're from scratch. But definitely graphic everything <laughs> is a trend. Um, Book talk has determined a lot of what uh, people are looking for. Yeah, book, I, I mean, just book, book talk in itself is a trend. Um, I, I really hesitate. How do I? I would not call this a trend, and I, it makes me feel gross to call it a trend. I would hope that it's just something that will happen going forward, which is books from much more diverse perspectives. And it's, mm-hmm. that's definitely something that we are actively looking for, but it's kind of gross to call diversity a trend. So let's let's just not. Let's just say that's something going forward that we're looking for. Um, a lot of fantasy, I think, in YA, but that's driven by book talk. But also I think that kind of gritty, murdery, traumery YA is is a thing. <laughs> Mystery and murder, and who killed who, who killed the um, popular kid is a thing. Um, picture book, picture books. I think emotional resilience is is a really strong thing. That uh, maybe it's just something I'm personally looking for, but it seems to be what's coming through more. I guess in picture books, a lot of earnest, more earnest picture books and less funny picture books, but. Just because it's a trend doesn't mean someone shouldn't buck the trend because I'd personally love some more funny picture books. <laughs> um, that's a bit of a ramble. But off the top of my head, I think that's what I'm seeing coming through, a middle grade, illustrated middle grade with um, feisty female protagonists, which are great, but would be good to see more male protagonists in middle grade, grade I think. Um, now I'm just telling you what I'm looking for rather than trends. Which, I mean, everyone wants to hear. <laughs> I saw a scary tweet going back a couple of months now, um, someone saying that in Australia there's kind of there was a call out a few years ago for middle grade saying there wasn't enough of it and now there's too much of it and too much middle grade being published for, I guess, the demand. Do you have any thoughts on that? It It's really crowded. It is a really crowded space. And it's a really difficult space to break through in. I don't know that there's too much being published. I just think it's really hard to break the stronghold of a few big brands in that middle grade space. So your Jeff Kinney's and your Dave Pilkey's and your Arndos. Like, um, I don't think there's too much of it. And I actually think we should all persist with the really good stuff and, and try and diversify those the stronghold of those series, which is not to say that those series aren't great, but it would be nice to see that market a little bit, those big bestsellers in that market a little bit more diversified. So you gave us a bit of a hint of some of the things that you're looking for. What are you looking for this year <laughs> specifically? <laughs> um, I think the thing that I always want and don't get a lot of is kind of big blockbuster YA. So we get it from overseas, but we don't, I tend to see sort of more quiet one, one-off standalone YA from Australian authors, which, I mean, obviously there are exceptions to that. People like Lynette Noni is an exception. And I love the one-off, lit- I love literary YA. I absolutely do. Contemporary YA is probably where I read most naturally, but, it would 
be great to see some really big blockbuster YA coming out of Australia. Um, so I'm definitely looking for that. I am definitely looking for the middle grade that will crack the stronghold of those <laughs> big brand names no that pressure. everyone is. No <laughs> pressure. It's, it's it's a tough, crowded market, and it's a really. What big do you investment. think would crack that market? I know that if I, if I you know, knew, you got the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we did a little plug, but we did publish um, Kate Temple's first um, debut middle grade that she's published without her partner, Joel, The Dangerous Business of Tri- Being Trilby Moffat, which I think is brilliant. It has, we did have Kate on the podcast and she's right. fabulous. She's fabulous. I mean, and her books have humour. They have action. She knows that you've got to stop and eat cake along the way. It's really got to <laughs> Got everything. Very important. Very, very important. I mean, one of our notes to Kate was more cake. We need more more cake stops. Um, she was very happy to oblige. So, I I I don't know the answer. I I mean, you always hope you know the answer with what you're publishing, but it will be interesting to watch. I hope it comes from us, but it will be interesting to see who breaks that stranglehold. Yes. I hope it's an Australian author, that's all. I mean, we've also got Jess Townsend in that middle grade space who did really break through. Um, And I think Nevermore and the Nevermore series is a really great example of if something is really that is really good, it will find its place both in Australia and overseas. And I think that is a really key part of it that that, yeah, I think being able to run a global campaign like with something of the calibre of Nevermore, it's going to break out. And and I think Nevermore is a really great example of something that can break out. Um, I should not, yeah, I just think it's a remarkable story and it's a testament to Jess and her writing and also to just the global appeal of those stories. So global appeal, but which is not to say it can't be Australian or Australian specific, but. Which was what I was going to ask you. When you are talking about global appeal, do you have to be, careful about how Australian you make settings, uh, way of speaking, things like that? I mean, you would like to say no, right? You would like mm-hmm. to be able to to lean into the very specific Australian nature of a story. And I think you can do that more than you ever could. I know when I was working in the States, they it was quite parochial and you would never, they would never consider anything that was very Australian or very, you know, specific to another country that wasn't the States. But that's, I think it's really, really changing. So um, I don't think that's as hard and fast as it was. But it does happen that Nevermore is quite universal, quite timeless. It's not, it's very much its own brilliant world. So it does help. Mm, watch this space. It sounds like we're heading into and are in at the moment quite an interesting publishing landscape where things perhaps are more acceptable than they've been before. Fingers crossed. I, yeah, <laughs> fingers, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I think so. That's definitely, I think everybody has that more outward looking approach. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jean-Marie Morrison. Thank you for giving us an insight into Hachette's children's publishing. It's been amazing. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I hope it was in some way useful. (laughs) Definitely. And thank you for listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast. Make sure you check out the back catalogue and while you're there, I'd love it if you left a rating or review. It helps other people discover the podcast. 
If there's an author you want me to chat to or you just want to say hi, hit me up on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter at Shanae Maripodi. That's C-H-E-N-E-E. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.